This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132, Business Radio. There have been at least 65 shootings on school campuses in 2018 alone, according to the nonprofit organization Every Town for Gun Safety. So it's not that much of a surprise that school security has become a booming industry. It's a $2.7 billion market, according to a new report in the Washington Post. And that does not include the cost of armed security guards. But how effective are things like armored school doors and bulletproof whiteboards and backpacks? The post-survey of schools that had gone through shootings since Sandy Hook Elementary in 2012 showed that half of them believed that nothing could have been done to prevent the mass killing from occurring. John Woodrow Cox is the enterprise reporter for The Washington Post and one of the people behind this story. John, great to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I, I guess to a degree, I'm not surprised by the the amount being spent, but the fact in some of the items that you detail in how these security measures are being brought brought forward, like bulletproof whiteboards. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, desperation has really uh, invaded people's thinking, is, is that, you know, when these events like Parkland happened, um, parents and administrators are desperate to do something. And, you know, you have these vendors, the, these entrepreneurs, who I think in some instances are, are, are taking advantage of that um, desperation. So you have things like, bulletproof whiteboards and you have bulletproof backpacks and you have, uh, you know, facial recognition software. And, and, you know, a a big part of the problem is that we just don't know because there's been so little research done. We don't know what works and what does not work. So do we know, and you've, you've been to a variety of these shows. Do we know what works and what does work even on a, on a very incremental level? So, you know, basic things we do know work. So uh, that's what we consistently heard from the schools is simple stuff that frankly doesn't cost a whole lot. Things like being prepared, just drilling. Um, unfortunately, sad that we have to do that. But but having your kids and your teachers especially prepared in a moment of crisis uh, consistently saves lives. Being able to lock a door quickly, having, you know, the, I think that probably the best, some of the best products out there are the ones that you just very simply lock a door and it prevents a shooter Um, from getting inside. Those things are what schools pointed to consistently and what we know uh, does consistently save lives. Is it a concern, and obviously in in this you know, free market society that we have, we obviously have businesses that are out there that are looking to fill a need. You mentioned that this is, it's a little bit concerning that you have a, a, a seemingly growing number of businesses that feel like this is an area where they can make a profit on. Yeah, and there's just no oversight. You know, there's, this is just a, there's a little bit of a wild west mentality within this world is that, you know, people who were doing things in other totally unrelated uh, industries see a business opportunity here. And, and I don't have any doubt that some of them have the right motivations. I think some people are getting into this uh, with the idea of, you know, what can I do to um, stop these events from occurring? But, you know, the, the problem is, is that there's been very little time spent looking at, okay, how do these shootings occur? You know, what happens and what, what leads to these events? And 
uh, and then sort of working backwards to say, you know, what might have stopped this from happening? That's why we went to these schools. And, you know, only one of the schools, we, we ended up getting responses from 34 schools, and only one suggested that any kind of safety technology might have helped. Uh, and, you know, they pointed to, to other things like communication with their students because students consistently know um, when another kid is maybe exhibiting uh, red flags. They know, but they often don't report it. So I think that, you know, they're, they're consistently schools would say, hey, if somebody had just come forward and told us, yeah. That might even be the way to stop this event from happening. But obviously, I, I think to a degree, this puts the schools in a bit of a tough position here because you just mentioned some of the things of, of communication and, and talking with the students even further to to maybe try and be able to to find out when there is potential trouble that is brewing. But then on the other side, you have the parents who are obviously very concerned when they send their kid to a school. The expectation is by parents that that kid is going to be safe inside those walls. Yeah, I feel, I feel for parents, I mean, in this day and age, and I think so much of the spending comes from that desire, you know, even though the school shootings are still very rare, they are, um, you know, it, it is extremely unlikely that a child in this country will ever endure a school shooting, but it certainly doesn't feel that way. And, uh, and I think, you know, parents just want to do anything they can. They want their schools to do anything they can, even if that means, you know, lining the glass with some sort of ballistic material or, you know, filling it with armed security. Uh, but, you know, of course, the issue is that, that those are things that there is very little evidence that they actually uh, are solutions for the problem. When you went to the to the expo and, and were looking at all of these different items, were there even things that caught you off guard in terms of the understanding that there are potentially, if you're talking about a situation where somebody may very well be looking to do harm at a school, there are so many different possible touch points that uh, that that somebody may look at. Yeah, you know, I, I think one, one product that certainly jumped out, and I don't even think it was necessarily a, a, a bad idea. It was a, uh, it was a, a gun that fired, uh, basically they're like paintballs, but they're filled with a sort of a pepper spray-like mixture. And, you know, the, the guy who developed the weapon, uh, he had just come back from Afghanistan, where he was, you know, training our troops in a combat zone how to use these. And now he saw this opportunity to sell them to teachers. And, you know, the idea would be that, you know, rather than uh, arming a teacher with a, a lethal weapon is that maybe you give them these and they would have something to fire back at uh, a gunman. And, you right. know, in one, in one right, you know, you can sort of see how there's an argument to be made for that, but it's just, it's really sad that it's, it's come to that. You mentioned also in your article, not only the the military, but the fact that the military seemingly would like to have a presence in this area or not the military per se, but people who have been in the military. Uh, you mentioned a company that I guess is looking at providing former military members for, for school safety, for security. Uh, there's, I guess there's even some technologies that may be involved in the, in the school realm for safety measures that the U S military is looking at. Yeah. You know, there's been some discussion too about, you know, sort of who in the future is going to be in charge of school safety and whether the military and Department of Homeland Security might kind of uh, get involved in that. The, the one guy who I did meet, um, he was a, f a former uh, Special Forces agent, and, and his idea was to um, embed 
uh, guys like him, uh, special forces agents who had seen combat and who had, you know, uh, kills on their record uh, to be embedded inside of schools as sort of secret teachers that they would, that's the way he pitched it. They would be like shop teachers who go undercover and would try to, you know, win students trust. And then, you know, would try to sort of like detectives almost uh, figure out who was a threat. And then in a situation where there was a, a shooter, uh, he argued that, you know, his guys would be much more accurate than a school resource officer. John Woodrow Cox is uh, the Enterprise reporter for the Washington Post. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. I mentioned the $2.7 billion number, but again, that doesn't include uh, security guards. So we're talking about probably a a much bigger number than that $2.7 billion number. Yeah, much bigger. I think that that really is a conservative figure because we're we're certainly spending in the billions on uh, armed security, and that's largely um, that's largely police officers. And you know, you've seen in places like Florida, you know, the spending on resource officers has uh, doubled and tripled in, in a lot of counties. And you know, it's not to say that that schools should not have um, those people there. We have certainly examples of. Uh, police officers who are assigned to campuses intervening. Uh, it doesn't happen, I think, as often as people believe or assume. Um, and, you know, we know, too, that in 40 percent, you know, we have a, a database of uh, school shootings that goes all the way back to 1999. And in 40 percent, at least 40 percent of those incidents, the schools had resource officers, so armed guards on campus at the time. And that, you know, was not a preventative uh, not a sure thing, at least, to prevent the uh, event from occurring. And I think that's in part because people have this idea that school shootings are typically events that last for for minutes and minutes and minutes. And that's yeah. just not reality. It's, it's typically, they are over within seconds, which just does not give that officer a chance. You know, if they're 100 yards away in another building, yeah. there's just no chance that they're going to get there by the time it's over. But you also mentioned uh, in your reporting the fact that you obviously have the concern within the school building itself, but there are also the areas around the school, the grounds itself, which are which are another uh, component to this story. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, just so much is beyond a school's control, and that's consistently what we heard. And and you know, the reality is, I think my biggest takeaway from from doing months of reporting on school safety is that if we as a, a country are going to consistently and continue to rely on schools to solve this problem, we're not going to solve this problem because it is, it is beyond their control. There are, you know, we, we did a piece earlier this year that asked, where do school shooters get their guns? Where do these weapons actually come from? And, you know, one thing that we, uh, we determined was that if, if children did not have access to guns in the United States, two-thirds of school shootings over the past two decades would not have happened. And, you know, that has nothing to do with what a school uh, can do. That has nothing to do with their security. It's simply yeah. that the child is getting access to a weapon, and they're not getting access to that weapon on campus. They're getting it at home, uh, typically, or at a neighbor's home or at a relative's home. John Woodrow Cox of The Washington Post joining us. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. 
is this going to continue to be a burgeoning industry? Like, I mean, you talk about $2.7 billion of spend right now. I I would think that we're going to continue to see those numbers be relatively high in, in the, at least in the next few years, because many schools are still trying to play catch up in terms of whatever security measures they need to have, or they perceive they need to have. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. I think it will at least, um, stay at that level, if not maybe, you know, growing incrementally. Because, you know, the, the other thing is, is that when you install a multi-million dollar um, surveillance system in your school, that requires decades of maintenance, you know, and that's, yeah. that's a major expense. So, you know, these are not one-time investments. These things um, are often very expensive, but they're going to be expensive over a very long time. So I, I, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that entrepreneurs are trying to solve the problem, you know, I, you know, uh, that's something that has been effective over time. But what we lack in this industry is oversight and research. Is there just needs to be more research to say that you know this is proven to work and this is proven not to work. And and school administrators right now are just in the dark. But they're just going with their gut. Th- then where do you think that comes from? Does that come from? The local level, the state level, maybe it's it's a case of all hands on deck at this point because of the numbers of shootings that we've seen in recent years, this year let alone, that this needs to be from, from, the, from the top on down, everybody needs to be involved in this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the federal government should be pouring, you know, tens of millions of dollars into, into researching this. You know, the, the, there was... There was this one study that we referenced in the piece. It was federally funded by Johns Hopkins, and it looked at the effectiveness of school safety technology. And they found um, basically what what we found in our surveys is that there is limited and conflicting evidence about the effectiveness of this stuff. And yeah. I think what that demands, that's just the first step. That then, you know, if we know that our schools are spending all this money, taxpayer money, uh, there's absolutely no reason that we shouldn't be spending a significant amount of money to, to figure out what works. The spend that we see right now and, and on the different items, uh, it is money that that I think I don't think there's much doubt that it is is a necessity to have that spend right now because of of where we are right now. And I think about some of the items that you mentioned in here and I think about my kids and the schools that they go to. It is now more common than ever to when you go into the administrator's office to see that wall, that big TV screen that has a variety of cameras on it that has different touch points all across that, the school grounds to be able to monitor that and, and see from a variety of, of viewpoints where something could potentially occur. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think, too, that a lot of the money is being spent on uh, items and technology that really isn't meant to stop the event from occurring. It's either uh, to mitigate it. So things like, frankly, things like uh, doors, you know, uh, that can lock quickly, that, that assumes that the shooter is already in the building. Right. Uh, and, and things like the surveillance, the cameras that you're referring to, the, those are often used in the investigation of the event. You know, who did it? Um, but, but those items and most of what money is being spent on is not meant to say, okay, how do we stop this from happening at all? And I think that there's a few good products out there, um, but I don't think there's nearly enough. There's not nearly enough focus on that. And I don't know if there's 
frankly, as much money to be made. I mean, the, I think maybe the best product uh, out there is from the folks from uh, Sandy Hook Promise, um, which is founded yeah. by parents of children who were killed in uh, the Sandy Hook shooting. They've come out with a, uh, a whole system that allows students, teachers, parents, anybody to anonymously report um, potential threats. So they can do that through an app. They can do it online. Uh, they can make a phone call. And, you know, their identity is protected. And, and you know, they're already seeing real yeah. success. But that is among the few ideas out there that is actually focused on stopping the events before they occur. But but also having these school resource officers, I, I, I think, is an important component to discuss. And you lay out just in some counties around the country the amount of spend that has gone on in the last couple of years, how markedly higher it is in the last year or two to have school resource officers in locations around the country right now. Yeah, I mean, it's it, that really has gone up a great deal. And, you know, I think a part of that, too, is, you know, I've written about a lot of school shootings in different places and, uh, you know, particularly a school in South Carolina um, that had a shooting a couple of years ago. You know, they didn't have a resource officer at the time, and they have one now. And the sense of security that that just provides the kids, whether that officer would ultimately be able to stop or gun down another shooter is sort of a separate matter. But it makes the kids feel safer, and it makes them it makes it easier for them to learn. So I think yeah. there's, you know, there's real value in that as well. Certainly, though, this idea that resource officers, that, that police officers are going to gun down active shooters in schools is, is basically a myth. Uh, right. You know, of the 225-plus incidents that we've reviewed, um, twice, two times, has a resource officer gunned down an active shooter. It's just an extremely rare occurrence. And, of course, a lot of attention was paid to what happened in Parkland, you know, where they had, uh, they had yeah. resource officers. And, of course, there was the officer who, who, who didn't go in. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's just not as simple as, uh, I think, you know, one of the schools we referenced in this story had three resource officers, and that didn't prevent, they, you know, they had metal detectors, they had surveillance cameras, and that didn't stop a kid from getting a gun in, you know, accidentally firing it and, and hitting a girl in the chest. And she, you know, she died two months before graduation. Well, then that brings up another point, that, which we haven't touched on, is the issue or the, the connection between the schools and, and government officials, but also the parents and, and the community as well. Because in seemingly in all of these cases, these kids are bringing weapons from the outside into these schools. They're getting them from somewhere out there. And, and again, part of this, I think, has to be on the parents and the conversations that they are having with their kids, but also with the schools as well. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I mean, this, this starts at home. And, you know, that was the last piece in this series really focused on that idea, you know, where, where the kids were, were getting the guns. And, you know, we, we know that um, since 1999, children have committed at least 145 school shootings. And, you know, we reviewed um, the evidence in 105 of those cases and found that 80% of the guns were taken from the child's home or those of relatives or friends. So it's not a mystery about where they're getting the guns, but it, it gets to your point, that issue of responsibility. We also found that just four adults have been convicted for failing to lock up those guns. So, uh, you know, there's a gap there between, um, you know, we're putting all this pressure on schools to say, solve this problem, solve this problem. But, you know, if the, if the guns 
never made it to the school in the first place, um, there wouldn't be that problem. So I think certainly there needs to be more focus on what's going on at home and what's going on with parents. What about the, the, the security plans of the schools themselves? And as you mentioned, with all of the schools that, that you heard back from, only one said that there may have been a way to, to, uh, to mitigate what occurred at their school. The security plan itself in terms of, uh, of shelter in place or getting the kids out of the school, I'm sure every school looks at that and reviews it on a constant basis. I know the, the school district that my kids go to have talked openly about that in the meetings that we have had with the school just, you know, at the beginning of the year. And there's been there's been real evolution, you know, in the thinking about that. Um, uh, you know, one time it was just sort of shelter in place and uh, it's there's so there's a lot more focus on sort of options based um, drilling, and that's uh, essentially that you know you can you can lock down or you can evacuate, and and you know the schools that we talked to pointed to both of those as being successful in in shootings that they had endured. So um, you know, and and we know that especially the adults, you know, kids will follow uh, the adults' lead. The adults in these situations have to be prepared. They have to know exactly what they're going to do. They need to know where their kids are going to hide. They, they need to know how to lock that door within a split second. Um, you know, those are the things that we have seen that have uh, saved people's lives. John Woodrow Cox of The Washington Post joining us. He is their enterprise reporter, and he is uh, reporting on the spend that is being done by school districts to uh, try and keep your schools safe. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get your phone, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I, 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 I hope that there is some sort of answer that we are able to find at some point, John. But the fact that, again, that all of the schools that you heard back from, or almost all, said that there really wasn't a way to effectively mitigate this from happening, that event from happening, it, it, it continues to be worrisome, and it's not going to go away, unfortunately, anytime soon. Right. Well, and, and the thing they did point to was if someone had spoken up. You know, that yeah. was the thing we heard about over and over. They, they really didn't put much stock into the t- safety technology, even though almost all of these schools had, had spent enormous amounts of money after their shootings on additional technology. Um, they didn't point to that as, okay, this is what would have solved it. They pointed to if someone had spoken up. And, you know, the Parkland shooter is, is, is another good example. You know, the hearings this week revealed that many, many, many people knew that he was a very real threat. And, you know, we see that all the time, is that these shooters usually tell someone, they usually say to someone, whether they're a kid or an adult, usually someone knows that this person is a threat and they don't have either anyone to report it to, they don't know who to report it to, or they're afraid to. And that's where I think these, uh, you know, anonymous reporting systems, every school should have one, every single school. And, you know, the, the Sandy Hook Promise folks, they're offering it for free. Uh, so there's no, there's no financial burden at all for schools. They can sign up for these, uh, for this system and, uh, you know, at no cost. And I think that we, you would absolutely see some reduction in these events if um, kids and adults yeah. had an easier way to report uh, potential threats, especially considering how how available and important social media or websites are to our to our lives these days. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's why they 
that's why they did this is because they were hearing over and over from kids, hey, I'm afraid to go to my teacher or to the resource officer because I don't want to be a target. But every kid has a has a smartphone now. They haven't. They can add the app on their phone, yep. and no one will ever know. I mean, they're they're meeting them where they live. So. I think uh, that is an area of focus uh, that is really important. John, great reporting. Thank you very much for giving me some time today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.